Father, this morning we welcome you. We welcome you, Jesus. We welcome you, Spirit of God. I pray the very Spirit who moved and hovered over the waters in the beginning of creation. When the word go f- went forth from the Father's mouth, you moved and you started your work of creation, dividing light and darkness. And I pray, Spirit, you will do the same work today, Lord. Divide light and darkness. Where there is no form, let there be form. Where things have been established, let it be rooted even more deeper in you, O Father. That at the end of the day, Lord, we will know God has spoken to us. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Teach us, Lord. We don't need less of you. We need more of you. As the days grow darker and darker, what we need is light. And the entrance of your word is light. Your word is light. We need light for today. We need light for the days ahead. Therefore, speak, Lord. Speak. We just want to thank you, Father, for all your servants everywhere who are standing faithfully, having heard from your spirit last night, this morning, and many still on their knees before you, waiting to hear different time zones. We commit them all into thy hands, O Lord. And when they stand behind your pulpits, they will speak without favor or without fear. Knowing God, that we are speaking unto you and to your people. Anoint us both to speak and to hear. For only the anointing has the power to break every yoke in our life. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So remember, we've been looking at that one thing, that one thing that will matter. In a fraction of a second, twinkling of an eye, all of us will pass from this world to the other. From the presence of man to the presence of God. And the only thing that will matter is, did you do the will of God? Only thing that will matter. And we saw that in five general aspects of the will of God. Five, six, seven. And keep on adding. Well, the first will of God is that God doesn't want anybody to perish. It is not the will of God that any man should perish. It is not the will of God that any man should perish. That's why he sent his son. I mean, it's unbelievable if you understand what God did. He sent his only, there was only way out. There are no two ways to salvation, only one way. It is that the holy, righteous God, if he has to redeem the fallen, sinful man, he had to take the price. He had to pay the price for his own justice. It is his justice. Our justice, we will wink. His justice, he cannot wink. Therefore, his son came, lived our life, sinless, perfect, Paid the price which God's justice demanded that the wages of sin is death. And he died on the cross for us. And then he rose again. Otherwise, death is more powerful than sin. And then we look unto him. Salvation comes from that. We look unto him. So though we have a cloud of witnesses, many witnesses portraying many aspects of God, we keep our eyes 
fixed on Christ Jesus. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you repent from your sin. Not the whole list of sin itself that causes you to sin. That nature, that very nature that causes us. Repent upon that old nature and acknowledge with Apostle Paul that there is absolutely nothing good in me now and forever. The only thing that is good in me is Christ in me. Therefore, I will put no confidence in the flesh. Put your eyes and your trust in Jesus alone and believe that God has raised him up from the dead for my sake. See, Jesus died for all is history. Jesus died for me is salvation. Don't generalize it. Personalize it. He died. If you believe, the Lord says, you are saved. And then he starts the work of salvation. We will be saved till the last breath of our life. He will keep on saving us from ourselves, the old man, from the powers of darkness, and from this world system which the devil has created. So that's the first one, and that's the most important one. Two, three, four, five, six, all has its own importance, but the most important one is the first step. If you are not saved, don't wait for tomorrow. Because tomorrow is not promised. It's not promised. It is not promised. There's no promise called tomorrow if you are not saved. If you are saved, tomorrow is promised. If you know his will and you are in that will, then you know, I have not completed my will, his will in my life, so tomorrow waits for me. But otherwise, tomorrow is not promised. So don't keep it for tomorrow, today. It's so easy, yet it is so difficult. It's so difficult if you are proud. It's so easy if you are humble. Just say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Jesus, save me. Then comes the rest of it. But today we will turn to John chapter 1 and verse 17. We are continuing on the will of God. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual transition. The point we turn from the old covenant to new covenant. Andrew? Yes. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's a transition. The spiritual transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. What came through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the age we are living in. We are not living in the age of the law. because Though there is the law, all religion is law. Though there is the law, you want to escape the trap of religion, come to Jesus. The religion stops. Law stops. Now you move into the age of grace and of truth. Now remember, grace is a concept. It's an idea. It's a concept. And it is power. Truth is a concept. It is idea. It is ideology. Whichever way you want to talk about Grace and truth, you can put it across as concepts. And if you only see it as concepts, you and I will fail in the age of grace. And in the age of truth, we will utterly fail if you only see it as concepts. It's more than that. It's a person. Grace is intimately connected to a person. And truth is intimately connected to a person. The Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Grace. And the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Truth. So, 
if you are in a relationship with that person intimate relationship of with that person you will see truth differently then only we'll understand truth then only we will understand the power of grace okay you have to see the person if you don't see the person you are still on the wrong side of the covenant you are still in the old covenant and when you read the word whether it is the old covenant or the new covenant all you will be able to see is the law and the law has no power to attract you it has only the power to scare you how long will a child want be around somebody who scares him or her but a child would be willing to be around for hours together somebody he or she knows cares for him loves him. okay and that's the person that's the person law came through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ and it comes into our lives effectively through the person of the holy spirit who brings the father and the son to us the revelation of the son and the father to us because he reveals jesus to us and we understand the father through jesus the most important words the most important words of jesus christ in his entire ministry is from john 13 um 31 to 17 26 you're not reading it i'm telling you the minute judas leaves the company of jesus the last time he goes out from there till his final prayer in 1726 that is the most important words of jesus christ to his children to his disciples to us the most important and if you actually read through these chapters you know what he's doing he's introducing the spirit of god to them he's introducing it's the most intimate words of jesus christ to his disciples in three and a half years and he's talking about intimacy he's talking about a relationship if you know the context and what happens over there they all swore you know what we will never leave you we will go with you and we will die with you till the end but they all fled they all fled they all ran away jesus alone went ahead and laid down his life according to the will of the father so the question is what was different about him and about them why was he able to go through with what he promised the spirit of god why was he able to because later if you look at the history of the apostles almost every one of them will go ahead and lay down their lives for him what made the difference the arrival of a person the spirit of the living god he intervenes the spirit of grace and the spirit of truth understand much or many of our own struggles is because we are not involving that person so we here you like it we dislike it we gather our notes and we leave the person behind and go though it is not possible to leave him behind he just remain silent in our lives 
the off-familiar passage we have seen over the weeks. John 14, remember, this is in that final hours of Jesus' life with his disciples. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. That word, forever. These are, these are words people say to each other, right? Husbands tell their wives, wives tell their husbands, love you forever and ever. And then a week later, whatever. <laughs> Children, when they are small, and they will say, no, we love you forever and ever. And then you try to get through to them. The phone is switched off. But there is somebody. He said, he will be with you forever. Who is he? The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. They cannot receive. Because the whole world is formed in a lie. Unless you are willing to deal with that lie, you cannot receive the spirit of God because he is the spirit of truth. It's not a, we cannot receive him. We can receive him if we are able to receive God's truth. Not your truth and my truth and not truth, which is your relative, relative truth. Not that one, but the absolute truth. The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So truth is not a concept. It's more than a concept. It is a person. You can see him with your spirit's eye. You can know him in your spirit. It is a person. And we never think about truth as a person. Truth has a person. It's a person. You can see him. You can know him. But you know him. Why? For he dwells with you. And will be in you. In you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus did not leave us orphans. He came back. How did he come back? He come back. How did he come back? He comes back as the spirit of the father. That is Jesus in us. The spirit of God. This is how Jesus fulfills the first two promises in the new covenant. The first promise of the new covenant is in Matthew 1.21. You shall name him Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. He came as Jesus, and he offered. Somebody's phone is ringing. Okay. Yeah. He's, uh, he came, he died on the cross, and he set us free. He set us free. He set us free. You believe in him, you are set free from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the bondage of sin. The second promise is something different. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall name, call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That is the second promise when he comes back to us as the Spirit of God. God with us forever. Forever. Remember, you cannot have two without one. That's why the world cannot receive him. If they don't receive him as their savior, they cannot receive him as the helper. You have to receive him first as your savior. Then he comes from within. He starts saving you. So because he had to save us, Jesus had to deal with sin once and for. All. I want to understand that concept very clearly because some of you 
can struggle with the penalty of sin, confused between the penalty of sin and the power of sin. They are not the same. Once and for all, the penalty of sin has been taken care of. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. It's the most powerful verses from 9 to 14. Then he said, Behold, I have come. What is that? To do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. The will of God that he should save mankind. Jesus fulfilled it by offering his life on the cross. He fulfilled the will of God once and for all. Look at the subsequent verses. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, that is Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Forever. One sacrifice, not two. One sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand side of the Father forever. And then, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected for Ever those who are being sanctified. If you are truly saved. That's why we keep on asking you this. Be sure you are truly saved. You are perfect inside. A new born again person is perfect inside. Even if it is just a baby. It's a perfect baby. Right? We have babies at the back. You look at the babies at the back. At their age, every the youngest is, uh, one is there on uh, Sapna's lap. The smallest baby is there. She's perfect at two months. Other one will be perfect at one year. Another one is perfect at two years. But if you are born again, that born again person is perfect. It is perfect. Why? Because the offering that was made was perfect. And you are born again by the perfect, the incorruptible seed, the word of God. It's perfect. So never question that person who is born again. Question the old fellow. So those who are made perfect, they are being sanctified. So if you are born again, every word you hear is a word of sanctification. If you are not born again, every word you hear, you should hear as the word of salvation. If you are born again, the word of God should come to you as sanctification. If you are not born again, okay? Don't receive a good message and go. You should go. You should, you should say, Lord, cry out to Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. If this is who you are, then my struggle should cease. My struggle should cease. So once Jesus, through one's offering, he has taken care of sin. And now reconciliation is possible between God and man. Man can walk with God again. Fellowship has been restored. Intimacy is in our hands. Fellowship has been restored. The way has been opened. The door has been opened. The temple curtain has been rent from top to bottom. Man can come to God without fear. But you want to intimate with God? It's in your hands, not in God's hands. He's left the door open. And he says, come boldly. Not even sin is an issue now. God will deal with your sin if you are willing. Mercy is available. Mercy is available. 
you can go to God and confess your sin and the blood of Jesus. So do not let sin be the barrier because that was always the barrier between man and a holy God. God says, that has been taken care of my sin. That does not give you the grace or the excuse to sin. But if you have sinned, Apostle John will say, my little children, I write to you these things that you do not sin. But if you sin, do you remember what you have in heaven is an advocate, not an accuser. An advocate who will plead your case. Not an accuser. He will plead your case. Go to him. Why? Because unlike those priests who offer daily sacrifices and could not cleanse you from your sin, he has offered his own life once and forever and he is able to plead our case. So the way is back to the Father. That should excite you. The way back home, the way is back to the Father's house. The door is open. You and I can go to the Father of our soul, our real, actual Father. The way is back. Okay, That's how the Bible speaks. That's the message of Abel. That's why the word of God says, even though Abel is dead, he speaks. How does Abel speak? Because he's the first man who speaks that you can go back to God through the blood. That is the message of Abel. And that's the only message Abel speaks. Through the blood, you can go back to God. Abel speaks. Because if Abel does not speak, Enoch cannot walk. If Enoch has to walk with God, Abel has to speak. So Abel speaks, Enoch walks, and God says, you know what? Because my son has shed his blood, you can walk with God again. How close do you want? He says, look at Enoch. 300 years he walked with God and he was taken alive. He was so close to God that God took him alive. He walked with God when he was on earth. He walked, spiritually speaking, he walked with God. Okay. So Enoch speaks about fellowship, about intimacy. And out of that walk should come our work. If your work arises outside the fellowship with God, you will never know what is job satisfaction. Never know what job satisfaction. You will be miserable. And others around you will be miserable. You know why? Because your work does not arise from a walk. There is a work God is doing. That's the secret of job satisfaction. Unless you are very, very consciously aware. The work that I am doing is intimately connected with the work God is doing. God is doing only work on earth. One work on earth. It is a work of redemption. That's the work of Noah. What did Noah do? Noah built an ark for the saving of his family. What is God doing? He's saving people. It's only one work God is doing. So whatever you are doing, you have to connect it with redemption. Why are you studying? Why are you studying? Oh, to get a job so that I can earn some money. No. No. That's not why you study. That's not why you study. That's not why you work. If I'm right, Ephesians 4.17 or 8.17, yeah. Can I have it? I did not give you Ephesians 4.17. It's either 17 or 18. Uh, yeah, let's have 18. Let's have 18 also. 
18, 18. Can I have it? Yeah. Got it? Oh, I got, I got. Is it 28? That why one man should, yeah, is it there? Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. That's why you work. See, the thief works hard. But do you know what is working hard? He's working hard at stealing. Okay? So there are two kinds of workers. See, even to lie in your bed for 12 hours is hard work. You have to work because if you to, to sleep for 12 hours, if you don't turn, you will get bed sores. So there is a work involved in turning. To get up, there is work. You have to put your feet on the ground. There is work involved. But there are a lot of people who do the devil's work. If through your life you are not contributing to somebody else's redemption, you are doing the work of the devil. Not the work of God. You are a thief. You are a thief. You are a thief. If you are not. So understand this. There are two workers. The devil is a hard worker. Christ is a hard worker. Christ said my father and I are at work from the beginning and still working. What is God doing? His work is the work of redemption. And what is the devil doing? His work is to steal other people's enterprises. Because if you don't work, somebody has to work to take care of you. Take care of you. So get these pictures very, very clear. Why God has instituted work? Because redemption is the work of God. So if your work is intimately not connected to redemption, you know what, Lord? I'm not studying hard for a job. I want to be placed where you want me placed one day and I become part of your redemptive work. I become your witness in that place. I become your witness in that place. And what I earn, I will always have enough to live. Because that's your promise. But I will also have more to give. Part of your redemptive process. Part of your redemptive process. We have to look at life that way. Otherwise you will never be satisfied with your work. Why are people jumping from one job to another to job to job? It doesn't matter how much they make. They are so dissatisfied. Why? Because you are not part of the redemptive process. But if you are part of the redemptive process, your salary is not bothering you. Because there is something that comes that gives you the job satisfaction. You know what? I am part of God's workforce on earth. And it doesn't matter the nature of your job. It does not matter. Because God needs his people everywhere. If everyone is going to be a CEO, what about the others? So think on these things. Because God is not building anything on earth. Because he's already set a date when he's going to burn up this world. He's going to destroy this world. So he's only involved in the redemption of souls. That they will not be destroyed in the fire. So don't worry about all these skyscrapers and all these engineering marvels and all those things. All irrelevant. It will all be ashes unto ashes one day. God is not involved in that work. What is involved is in the lives and the souls of people. In the redemptive work. So it doesn't matter how great your work is if it is not involved in God's redemptive 
process. It also will be burned up. That's why God says our works will be tested with what? With fire. Because he's saving. He's in the business of saving people from the judgment that is coming. So the spirit of God and the church has to be very closely involved in this work. And this is the will of God. Right? Yesterday, if you had time to listen, because you're all busy people. You would have heard the message on Saturday. And Pastor Vijay spoke from First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And the will of God was there. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. For he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for what? The will of God. He said, you know what? Live for the will of God. Rest of your life on earth, what should you live for? Live for the will of God. You can live for your flesh. Or you can live for the will of God. In verse 3. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. So there is something called the will of the Gentiles. Meaning that the will of the people who do not know God. That does, need, does not mean they are bad people. But they are wasting their time. Because it does not matter what they do, it will all be burned up at the end. Okay. The will of the Gentiles. And what? When we walked in lividness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. Did you see that? So there is the will of God and the will of the flesh. So when we talk, we are talking about a person. Talking about a person. If you take the person out, you will drop out. If you pursue righteousness for righteousness sake, you will get tired. That's what happens to good religious people. They get tired. If you pursue holiness for holiness sake, you will get tired. You will get burnt out. But if you pursue righteousness for his sake, if you pursue holiness for the Holy One's sake, you will never get tired because there is a person intimately involved in it. And that person happens to be your father. That when you fall, he's right there to pick you up and says, continue, don't drop out. That's why Jesus puts this, what he call this condition. It's a very important condition. John chapter 14 and verse 50. He doesn't talk about keeping his commandments. First, he says, if you love me. Solomon would say, love is as strong as death. Do you know the extreme levels people go for the sake of love? For the sake of love. Yes, forget the law. You're not going to do any of these things. The traffic police is invisible. The helmet comes off. Right? Traffic lights no longer doesn't matter. Every the rebel in you comes in. So law will only work when the lawgiver is around. Just forget that. But he says, if you love me, if you love me, 
said, if you love me. It's a very powerful word, right? If you love me. So the Bible says, why do we love him? Why do we love him? The Bible says, we love him because he first loved us. The simple question is, how did he love us? See, it's not, oh, because he loved us. No, how did he love us? This is the nature of love you need to understand and appreciate. Okay? You love him because he so loved us and gave his life for us. That is the only true love. There's no other love. It's no true other love. And all the struggle in relationship is because there is taking and there is no giving. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him. So he says that's the only love that is acceptable in a marriage. If you are not giving yourself, you are not loving. You just set a set of rules. Wives, submit your husband in all things as unto the Lord. What is that? Giving of self. If this is not there, every marriage is destined to fail. All you have is a marriage held together by the law, commandments. It will not survive. We need to understand what is the major issue because we have forgotten, we have misunderstood what love is. If you don't give, you don't love. You don't love. That is the issue. That is the issue. The only ones we are asked to love and expect nothing back are the babies. Because they have nothing to give. But even if they make one grimace which looks like a smile, we are so pleased. Because they gave something. That's why the Bible says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because those are the genuine lovers. They are giving. They are giving. And because they give, there is a constant supply of the Holy Spirit in their lives because God is a giver. Rivers of living water shall flow because you have tapped into God's own source. Because God is a giver. God is a giver. Let's get to the root of the problem. Of every relationship. Because ultimately life is about relationships. Our relationship with God. We are takers. All our prayers is basically taking. We are not givers. Our relationship with one another in a home. Has spouses, parents, children, children, parents. In a church, in a setup, in an office. Everything is ultimately got to do with relationships. And in a relationship. If you are not giving. You are just damned up. Just like a dam, dammed up. There's no inflow coming in. Because God cannot give because you are not a giver. If you turn to First Corinthians chapter 7, okay, that's the most important chapter when it comes to marriage. All unmarried people put your hands up. Okay, don't put your hands up, okay. Don't put your hands up. Why should everybody know you are not married? No. Okay. okay. If you are not married, even if you're married, always go home and read First Corinthians chapter 7. That is the chapter on marriage for unmarried. I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. So Paul gives the reason. Why should, we, why should you be a bachelor? Why do you want to be a bachelor? To be a yogi? No. 
Why do you want to be a bachelor? Why do you want to be a bachelor? He says, only one reason, he says, you want celibacy. It is because you want to please God and don't want any distractions. That's the only reason. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how we may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body, in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. You know what he does? He brings God and the family together. He says, if there is a relationship, there has to be pleasing. If you're married, please your spouse. You have to please your spouse. He says, that's accepted. But if you don't want that distraction, don't get married. Don't get married. Husbands have to please their wives. Wives have to please their husband. God said, it is accepted. That is the law of marriage. One of the things which we have to do as counseling over the years as a pastor is when people come to me and ask what's wrong with your marriage, I tell them straight up, your problem in your marriage is you should have never got married in the first place. Because you live for yourself in your marriage. You don't know how to please the other person. It's not, doesn't even go through your psyche. You should have remained a bachelor or a spinster. Because so many people have to address that fact first. In your marriage, are you a taker or are you a giver? Because don't look at God first. Because God says, this is love. If you cannot love the one whom you see, you cannot love the one you cannot see. Don't make it spiritualized. God is absolutely practical in the word. Absolutely practical in the word. He says, I have put two people before you. The one who you cannot see and the one you can see. If you cannot love the one who you see and give yourself. It's not talking about emotions. We are talking about absolute reality. Practical. If you are not able to love the one you see, then you coming and say on choice, Lord, I love you. He says, bunker. I saw you in your home. Saw you in your home. It's not real. It is not real. Because there is a word there called pleasing. Well called pleasing. Okay. And this is important. Now we are not pleasing when you are talking about all the carnal desires of the spouse. We are not talking about that. Okay. Don't take it and run away with it. High pastor told me today, from today you have to write to me. You will please me every day of my life. We are not talking about that. But it is a factor. It is a fact. Please. That is where Hebrews 11.6 comes. It is impossible to please God without faith. So faith and love are intimately connected. Intimately connected. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. What is that you see that you cannot see? You expect from somebody. God says, do it. Do it. You do it. You do it. It will come back to you. 
you do it. So with God and with man, faith works. And you cannot detach faith with, from love. Because in both there is a word called please in, involved. If you love God, you have to please God. If you love your spouse, you have to love your, uh, please your spouse. But their faith also comes in. Are we getting it? So that's why the person comes. Because if God the person is not involved, faith becomes just, I brought down mountains by faith, I quenched fires by faith, I shut the mouth of lion. Where is the person? Did you please him? Did Gideon please God all the days of his life? No. Did most of the great people in the old covenant please God all the days of their life? No. Because once their target was achieved, they left the person aside. That is the issue. Because the person, because faith can be taken as a concept, truth can be taken as a concept, grace can be taken as a concept, and just as a manifestation of that person's power or provision. What about the person? What about the person? And that's where hearing comes, because faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. So there is something called hearing. You cannot have hearing unless you are listening. And you don't listen just with your ears. So it is connected with human relationships also. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening? Last time I said, two Sundays back I said, do you listen to your body? Do you listen to your body? When the migraines keep on coming back, are you listening? Oh, it's just a headache, it will go away. But is it repeated? Are you listening? God is trying to speak to you. Using your own body, see? There may be something wrong. Your vehicles, the people around you, are you listening? Don't get so busy. When the Holy Spirit comes, are you listening? Because the Spirit comes. He doesn't shout. He doesn't scream. He doesn't voice, raise his voice in the streets. He's very, very gentle. When a wife serves dinner at her table, are you listening? Maybe she didn't open her mouth at all. But when she placed the plate like this, she sent a message across. Did you listen? She didn't speak a word. But did you get the message? Because unless I hear God's Spirit speaking, relationships will fall apart with God and with man. Because the Spirit has come here to restore relationships. He's come to restore relationships. When I partake of what God is offering, please remember, 
He is giving me what is good for me. Not what I think is good for me. If you allow children alone and tell them you can eat and drink what is good for you in your eyes, life will be easy now and terrible later. Terrible later. So what pleases God may not please us initially. But it is good for my soul. When I was five years old, I think I was five years, that's what my mother says. I did not come to India till I was five years old. So at the age of five, I came down from the mountains, came down to a station called NJP Siliguri, saw my first steam engine and fell in love with Indian railways, which still continues. Even yesterday, last night, I watched my Indian railways. These things never pass. This is one of your first loves, okay? But if you notice, I mean, if you, if you don't notice, I'm talking about myself. Every year when we came for vacation, and we stand, sat around the dining table in my grandfather's house, everything that was served there, I hated. Because I was not used to that food. Malus only will understand the redfish curry, the avial, the sambar, the torrents. I couldn't stand it. My father would look at me and it would disappear. <laughs> That's all it took. So all those years I ate it to please him. Though it was going into my stomach. I was not eating it to please me. I was eating it to please him. But today, if you come any day onto my lunch table, I'm eating what I ate then. And if you give me something else, I will not be well pleased with you. <laughs> okay. So when God is giving us something, it is what pleases Him because He's our Father and He knows it's good for my soul. He's in the restoration business. After redemption, He's in the restoration. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. And many of the things which he gives us, just take it and swallow it. It's good for your soul. Because he loves you. It's good for your soul. What is he doing in the process? He's building my relationship with him. And with one another. Because if I cannot build my relationship with him, I cannot build my relationship with one another. Both has to go. Don't walk with a cross that is just vertical. That is just one pole. It has got a horizontal beam too. But don't try one without the other. It will not work. You will end up being a people pleaser and ultimately end up pleasing nobody. So whenever the Bible talks about husbands and wives, husbands and wives... Think about God and the church. Look at First Peter 3, 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. We know this verse very well, right? Now I am going to read this verse in a way you have never read before. Christ likewise Dwell with, the, dwell with the church with understanding, giving honor to the church as a weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, so that Christ, your intercession, is never hindered. 
Let me ask you on this question. Is Christ's prayer ever hindered? No, because of how he dwells with us. With kindness, with understanding, with patience, with long-suffering. That's how he deals with us. So his intercession in heaven is never hindered. Learn the lesson. Never hindered. He's forever making intercession for those who are being saved. So we given a lesson here. He's teaching us. Because remember, Jesus, when he tells us to something to do, he's done it and he's doing it. That's why the Bible says, though you have this cloud of witnesses all around, keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Because only some facets of his character is found in people, but he is the sum total of God's holiness, his righteousness, his character. So there is love, there is faith, in both there is something that is common. What is that? Love tries to please. Tries to please the other person. Lust tries to please self. And you can have lust even for good things. It is not the thing that makes lust lust. It is whether you are spending it on yourself or you are giving out in the process that changes lust or love. Be very, very careful about this because in its intensity, lust can be more powerful than love. But the aim is at self. Love is as powerful or stronger than death because it is aimed at the other. So Jesus comes and says, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And those who love him will always say, Lord, what do you have to say? Because I want to please you. We can preach against sin. We can show all the dangers of sin. We can put graphics of hellfire, everything. We will still sin. The only way you will overcome sin is you will love him. If you don't love him, you will not be able to overcome sin. Telling you the truth, the entire old covenant people tried. It's not possible. Even the fear of God cannot stop you from sinning. I will tell you, I will show you why. Go to James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him is sin. There are two kinds of sin. One is the sin of commission. What you should not do, don't do. Right? That is a sin of commission. What is sin of omission? What you should do, you did not do. People who walk under the fear of God do not sin the sin of commission. But they are guilty of the sin of omission. Because to walk in this, you need love. You need love. Because if you look at people and say, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. That's not what God is coming and asking. God says, did you do this? Did you please me? Did you please your spouse? Did you do what was right for your children? Did you do what was right for the sheep? Did you please the other person? And suddenly you realize, no, I didn't. Then God says, you know what you are? You know what the root problem is? The root problem is you do not love. So one side of the coin, the other side is nothing is there. 
is blank. And that's what God is talking about. You want to overcome. It's one way you can overcome. The fear of God is good. The fear of God has come upon you that you may not sin, which is good. You will not do the things you are not supposed to do. But what about the things that you are supposed to do? Can fear make you love your wife? Can fear make you stay awake with your night, through the night with the tummy, this thing, through the night, 24 hours, 48 hours, sit by the ICU, sit by the hospital? Can fear make you? No. It's only love that will make you. Consistently, constantly, not one instant, but constantly, because Jesus is still laying down his life for us. After living here for 33 and a half years, he's been for 2,000 years interceding for us, still giving his life. So there is giving process is consistent because there is always an inflow. So we are not talking about the sin of commission. We are talking about the sin of omission. And you know why? Because that is the actual test. Do we love? Do we love? Do we love that way? So here is the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the will of God. And the love of God is epitomized by that most well-known verse. God so loved the world. You know why we honor him? Because of who he is. Why do we praise him? Because of his majesty. Why do we do all these things? Because of who he is. Why do we love him? We don't love him because he's great. We don't love him because he's holy. We don't love him because he's righteous. We don't love him because he's magnificent. All we, don't. we love him because he gave himself for us. That's the only reason. That is the reason behind love. If you give yourself to somebody else and they see it, they will love you. And that is the only genuine love. Every other love is false. It's not true. Because it has no foundation to stand on. The foundation to stand on. I'm talking about, not about things, I'm talking about life. It's easy to buy the love of children with things. So if you are enamored by somebody who gives you things, though there is a giving of things in love, you're just a child. Because we have that old saying which I preached years ago when we had that series on love in 2010 or something. You can always give without loving. But you can never love without giving. can always give without loving. But you can never love without giving. That's how God has framed His creation. So forget the majesty of God. Forget the glory of God. Forget the power of God. Forget it all that. Why do we love Him? Because he loved us first. And how did he love us? Imagine, God has only one son. (laughs) And he gave his only begotten son to die that horrible death on the cross. For me. Because if God looked and said, that's the only way my children can come back to me. There's no other way. There's only one way. And the son said, Dad, I will be that way. And therefore, 1 John 3.16, I did not give it. But we all know by when. 1 John 3, John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. We know this one. Now let us look at 1 John 3.16. Get these two verses in your heart. By this we know love. By this we know love. How do we know? By this we know love. Not the Valentine's card. 
By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is how we know. So ask this question. Am I taking life? Or am I laying down life? Because whenever you take, you are taking somebody's life. Nothing comes free in this world. Absolutely nothing is free. Behind everything there is work involved. Nothing is free. Behind work is somebody's time and behind time is somebody's life. So if you are taking it free, you are taking somebody's life. You know who you are? You are a thief. Because the devil is a thief. He made nothing and he's been stealing from that day. Don't be. We have been born again in the image of the Father. And he's a giver. And the love of the father continues. He not only gave us his son. His son came and lived among us. How? Not literally. Holy, pure God lived among a mass of filthy sinners. Lived among us. Fellowshiped with us. And died for us. And then when he died and he rose again, he sent his spirit to us. How does he live inside me like this? I have to go where you go. I have to think what you think. I have to hold my ears about all your words you speak. But I am not going to leave you. Because the Father sent me to be with you forever. He gave his son. And he gave us his spirit. What more? That is two-thirds of heaven. Sixty-six percent God gave. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He gave us His Son and His Spirit. Think on these things. And if we are willing, He's willing to give the Spirit as much as we can handle. When it comes to his Holy Spirit, look at that. John 3 and verse 34. Okay, I think, is it amplified version? Yeah, look at this. For since he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, proclaims God's own message, God does not give him his spirit sparingly or by measure, but boundless is the gift of God that God makes of his spirit. He says, when it comes to my spirit, I will give you as much as you want. No limits. I will give you my spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit, he gives without measure. Do we want him? So all our issues, all our issues are actually relational. They are actually connected with the Holy Spirit. If we were to listen to him, we could have been out of most of the troubles which were self-inflicted wounds. If only we listen to who lives in us. Think about how theologians describe God. Okay? Three qualities of God they describe. One, is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's not bound by space. 
is not bound by time. Meaning he is there in the past, he is there in the present, he is there in the future. So who is the one who is inside you? The omnipresent God who is in my past. All my mistakes. He says, I know. What you think not as a mistake, also is a mistake, I know. And I know the effects it is having in your life. I am in your past. I am in your present. I am in your future. I am there. Omnipresent. Do you want to listen to me? Do you want to listen to me? Another facet of God's character is what is called his omniscient. Which means he knows everything. Now I am not interested in any subject. I am interested in me. And God says, I know everything about your past and I am still in you. I didn't leave you. I know everything about your present. I know everything about your future. Do you want to listen to me? Do you want to listen to me? Do you want me to lead you? Will you listen to me? Then the third facet of God's character. He is all powerful. Absolutely all powerful. Where is he? He's in me. He's in you. And God says, I'm all powerful. To do, clean up your mess of your past. To hold you firm in the present. And give you the hope of glory in the future. Do you want to listen to me? But he says, I won't force you. I won't push you. I gave you the free will. Limited, yes, where I gave you the free will. You can choose me or reject my voice every day. All knowing. Think about who is in you. Emmanuel, God with us. God in us. The spirit of the living God. Look at how Paul puts it across 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 to 11. As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for those who... That's why God says, if you love me, I can tell you these things. But because you don't love me, I don't know how to tell you these things. Because relationship is based on love. And love is in giving and not in taking. You should take, but you give more. He says, if you love me, I am willing to tell you. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, even the deep things of God. The spirit of God is go, able to go into the heart of God and understand the purpose of God for every person. And comes back and says, you know what, I see you. You really love the father. You really love the son. You really love God. I want to tell you this. This is for you. This is for you. You know what the problem you are going through? Don't worry. Hang in there. It's for your good. It will work out. It will work out. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stumble. Hang in there. You think it is bad. Hang in there. You know why we are not able to hear? Though there is a person who speaks. Look at Romans 8.27. Now he who searches the heart's Know what the mind of the spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You think you are sustained by your prayers? No. We are sustained by his prayers. He is the actual person who prays in us, for us, according to the will of God. So even in your prayer life, are we willing to 
lean on to him and say, Lord, actually I don't know how to pray. If I pray, I may end up asking all kind of stupid stuff. But you know what I really need. Would you please pray through me? The person. Person. Like I said through of last week, we have three things we have to be very careful about. One is time. Limited time every man has. Nobody knows the day you will go. Very limited time. Second, limited strength as you grow, as each day passes by. Your strength is not increasing. Your strength is decreasing. And third, resources. Limited time, limited strength, limited resources. And who has God given us? His Spirit. To see that we reach our maximum potential in this life. Fulfill what you would say, all the will of God. So in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says, he's very happy. Some churches he's very happy. He's tickled pink with the church in Colossia because they are getting it all right. They have faith, they have love, therefore they have hope. It's all there with his church. And therefore he says, though you have all these things, this is my prayer. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his. You didn't know that your mind could be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Though he's saying you are an absolutely kosher church, great church, you know what? There is so much more that God has for you. Do you want to be filled? Filled? Think about it. Look at another verse, Ephesians 2.10. This is for those who are saved. 2.10. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and... Oh, no, no, that's 2.10, yeah. We are his workmanship. Who are we? His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In there. You already prepared everything. So why waste time, energy and resources when the one who is in you knows the works he has prepared for you beforehand? Why don't you go to him and save on time? Save on strength and save on energy. Why don't we understand? Why don't we go to him? Why don't we go to his word? And why don't we go to the teacher? Don't go to the word without the teacher. You will end up a Pharisee. Please remember, the letter of the law kills. But the spirit gives life. Every time you open the word or hear the word, ask spirit of God, teach me. I don't want to hear with this intellectual or carnal mind. I want to hear it with your mind. Teach me. Speak to me. The word of God says, he already knows what we are supposed to do. We don't have to walk in hit and miss. He says, I know what I have planned out for you. The Father's will. And it is just not good. It is pleasing. One day you will realize it is perfect. It is perfect. That is what the will of God is. And as a father, remember, 
as not our father as the father is absolutely interested in every decision you make he wants to be involved the question is will you ask him will you ask every decision you make if you ask him he will tell you anything nothing is too simple for him or too irrelevant for him because he's a father who wants to be absolutely intimate with him many of my wife's dresses with other people wear you don't know why you wear because she says honey do i look good i said i don't like it that's all it takes gone next day gone next day why he doesn't like it why should i wear it have you ever asked god about the simple things about life do you know his interest telling you his interest he will speak to you about your clothes about your footwear about your hairstyle because he's absolutely interested if you come and ask me i will tell you as a earthly father i will tell you and i will tell you also the reason when he tells you doesn't even have to tell the reason he because his ways and his understanding is far above us you just tell me you don't have to give me a reason because if you give me a reason i may not understand the reason so you just tell me little things little things i'm telling you little things matter relationships like we say many drops make the ocean and real strong genuine relationships are built over little things little things and god is never busy oh that's too small a thing for you to bring to me now god says no i'm never busy for my children and nothing is too little for me but the question is are we listening because our decisions without asking him can one day become very expensive it can cost us physically emotionally spiritually cause great pain for us and others that is why it is good to ask god very very good to very wise to ask god now that you are in the kingdom and now that you understand the ways of god or at least presume to understand the ways of god and you know you have a person living within you why don't you ask him deuteronomy 30 and verse 19 says this i call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that i have set before you life and death blessing and curses cursing therefore choose life he said i am sending you ask me i have said you this is the way you ask me i will teach you even these things i will teach you but one is life one is death one is blessing one is curse for you and your descendants it may turn out very expensive for your children and your grandchildren and your children's children that is why it is wise to ask very very wise to ask ask I was telling last week or yesterday there are 24 chapters in the book of Joshua it's a chapter of victory it's a chapter of triumphs triumph finally they overcome they get the promised land god gives them rest from all their enemies but in those 24 chapters there are two goof ups in chapter 6 it is sin in chapter 9 it is deception 
The devil cannot trap you with sin. He will catch you with deception. You may be a good man or a good woman, but he has deceived you. Two traps they fall into. One is sin. God says, remove the sin, victory is back. How big is the sin? Very small. A town called I. Small south. Jericho has fallen. I is small. Be very careful. Be very careful. Israel lost. People died. There were widows in the camp. Orphans in the camp. Because of one small sin. One sin. You lose your victory. Remove that sin. Victory is back. And then they presumed. One set of people came from far away, saying, we are far away, we live far away. Look at our clothes, look at our bread. They sampled everything. And there is this one line in scripture. In Joshua 9 and verse 14, this is what is written. The men of Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not ask the counsel of God. A small thing I ask. Uh, they look good. They look as if they come from far away. Look at their bread. It is moldy. Did you ask? Lord. Looks like what they say. The bread is also moldy. But Lord, we are the new generation who are to be led by the Spirit. Spirit of God. Are they really from far away? Or are they trying to set us up? They didn't ask the Lord. And they made a covenant in the name of the Lord. Now the covenant falls into place. Now go to Second Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 to 6. There was famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. Go further. The king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or any of his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And they answered, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. Three years of famine. Israel is suffering under the best king Israel would ever have. But they are suffering for three years. The entire nation is suffering. And later you look at the tree. There is seven dead bodies hanging and a woman standing there for day after day, week after week. You know why all this happened? Because one set of people simply did not ask God. Don't blame Saul. Go back to the cause. What is the root? Did you ask God? It will well if you ask God. It will go well with you and your descendants. 450 years of the rule of the judges. 40 years of Saul. Let us say 20 years of David. 500 plus years. 
but it is still coming to catch you. Why? Because one man did not ask God. So God says, you know, it will cost you. Cost you great heartache. Lord, should I marry this person? After the general will, revealed will of God is fulfilled, don't stop there. Still go further. Lord, you know dad. You know dad. Daddy, you know. Should I marry this man? Should I marry this woman? Should I take this job? Should I pick this course? It's not whether I do well in the world. What do you have for me? I know whatever you have for me is the best. So that's who you are. It is written, it is the best. It is the best. It will go well for you and your children. Did you ask? Did you wait? Or did you fall back on your own? That's why it doesn't come overnight. Build a relationship with God. Relationship with God. Because God is absolutely interested in you. And he has provision for you which you don't even understand at that time. Everything. You always see the head stuff. I'll tell you a simple, it's a funny example. I think I shared this years and years ago. Over 20 years, not 20 years, more than that. 23, 25 years ago. I was in another state in Assam. My ministry was like crazy every day with the soldiers, with the tribals, with the simple people over there in the churches, in the villages, on my two-wheeler. You know what? I got a crazy brother, eldest brother. He's crazy. He's not crazy, but he's crazy in his certain things. He buys shirts and he buys watches. He's got around 200 watches. He's got a separate room for his watches alone. That's how he is. And he buys shirts in there, tons and tons and tons. Okay. So every time he used to come down, he would drop like around 50 shirts on me. And each of these shirts are worth 2,000 bucks. Those days I'm talking, even now he's still the same. So he drops all the shirts on me. And I'm looking at the shirts and wondering, what am I going to wear? My people are so poor. I wear all these, those days, Louis Philip and from Harrods, London and all those. What am I going to wear this? So I used to give it away. One day I heard the Spirit of God say, stop giving it away, keep it away. So I was wondering, okay, your voice is more important than my charity. So I put it away. Okay, a whole lot of clothes, put it away. Two years later, I end up in Bhutan. Now I'm working with the underground church. My schedule is I work 30 days a week because I have to work with the church. My day begins at 4 in the morning. And my day ends at 11 in the night. Sundays I have three services, four services, up to eight services. And suddenly I realize I have to wait for a national holiday to wash my clothes. And I have more than enough to go through a month because there are tons of clothes which was prepared two years earlier when he said, don't give it away. Now once I finished that mission, I came back, I gave it all away. Even small details, when he tells you, you don't know it then. You will only know it later because he's interested in details of your life. He's already planned it out all for you. Will we listen? Will you listen? Think. 
Acts 7.22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, was mighty in words and deeds. Therefore he thought, I don't have to ask. Forty years of misery. Because simply he did not ask. Forty years of pain. Forty years of misery. Forty years. In that forty years, everything that he could goof up, he goofed up. He married the wrong woman. Yes. It is during that season he married the wrong person. He had two children who would never really follow God, because they went with their mother, who was carnal. You see, when you make one mistake, important mistake, which turns your life, and you do not ask God, and after that you are on the wrong side, and every decision you are making is becoming wrong, because you are on the wrong side, and God is still not left him, he's still waiting, he has to wait 40 years. You know why? Because he simply did not ask God. So these pictures are there. Pictures are there. Or look at the other great man. Acts 7.3 And God said to him, that is Abraham, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land. Come to an? I will, I will show you. He didn't show him. I will show you. I will show you. First leave. Lord, show me. I will leave doesn't work that way with me. Just leave. He didn't leave. So God didn't show. Because he didn't leave, God didn't show. He had to wait years before he could actually see. And as soon as he left, God appeared. And fellowship started. I will show you. Not here it is. No, I will show you. But if you are walking in obedience to God, He will show you. Come, Moses, let's go up to the mountain. And Moses here, see, this is the land your descendants will inherit. He showed you. If God knows you are absolutely interested in a relationship with Him, absolutely submitted to His will, you will not flinch. He will show you ahead of time. He said, go tell that man called Paul. Tell that man called Paul. Think about it. The person, how well God knows us. And then yes, go to the city. There's a street called Straight. House of a man called Judas, in that there is a man, Saul from Tarsus. He knows your name. He knows where you are staying. Our GPS will say you have arrived and you look, all you see is wilderness. Where did you arrive? Hmm? Send men to Joppa. There's a Simon, the tanner. His house is by the beach. Inside is another man called Simon, Peter. Don't call the tanner, he will tan you. <laughs> call Peter, he will preach to you. He knows your name. This is the God who knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows exactly where you are, what you are. Zacchaeus, come down. Hello, what is that man's name? No, Zacchaeus, come down. I know your name. He knows who you are. He knows what you are going through. He knows what you are up to. He knows it all. And he hasn't left you. 
John 16 and verse 7. I like it. It's a tennis term. Pastor Vijay will be interested. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So every believer, advantage believer, in this game called tennis on planet earth, it's our advantage if you listen to your coach. Like Rafael Nadal, one coach all your life. The Spirit of God, one coach. Listen to him, you will win. Don't listen to him. You are bound to lose against the weakest opponent also you will lose. But if you listen to him against the strongest opponent, you will win. I will send the helper. I will send the helper. And when he comes, when he has come, he will, he will, you need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, you can read the word as much as you want. You will not have strong convictions. Strong convictions come from the person. It does not come from the law. Strong convictions comes from the person. Once a person. Because if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you will not repent and return back. You will always justify. Oh, this is why I did, because this is what he or she did to me. No. When the person comes, there are no justification. It's a person. It's got to do with a person, with a relationship with a person. I want to get back with a person. And the only block with a person is this. God says, get rid of it, confess it, get back into relationship. It's got to do with a person. You have strong convictions about sin. We don't have strong convictions about sin because sin for us is do this, don't do this. No, it's connected with a person. And of righteousness, we don't have strong convictions of righteousness because it is not connected with a person. It's connected with a person. We don't have strong convictions about judgment because we don't realize it is connected with a judgment. Listen to last night's Q&A. What is the lake of fire? That is not even hell. Hell is temporary holding area now where the unsaved souls are held. Lake of fire is not that. It's different from hell. In the lake of fire, let me tell you what it is if you read scripture carefully. One, that's one place from which God will withdraw his presence. There is no presence of God in the lake of fire. It is fire, but there is no light. It's absolute darkness. And there will be no fellowship forever and ever. You will be alone, though there will be billions of souls around you. You will be all alone for eternity. No presence of God. No presence of man. No light. All darkness. And God says, you need to have strong convictions about what judgment is. When I withdraw my presence, everything goes. Everything goes. It's not even hell. Hell is better. From hell, the rich man could look and says, Father Abraham, there is no looking from the lake of fire. Because God has withdrawn his presence. In hell, there is, there is conviction. Please send somebody to my brother's house. There is nothing in hell. There's nobody to call to. Everything is gone. It's absolute pitch, dark, black, burning forever. No fellowship. Because God has withdrawn his presence. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will have strong convictions of what sin is. Absolutely strong convictions of what righteousness is. And you will have strong convictions. Lord, like David, you will say, where can I go from your presence? 
He's not talking about anything. If you look at that man, he's relating everything to a person. Your presence, your presence, your presence, your presence. So the way you are taking is the way we'll take you there. Turn back today. Don't end up there. Because hell is a better place. I like a fire. Not a place anyone should go. And it is not God's will that any man should perish. The person of God. Person of God. And Jesus said, when he comes, you receive power. When he comes, don't take the he and say, I only want power. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Having been assembled together, he commanded them, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, but John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, when he comes, you shall receive power. I need the person. I need the power. When that person comes, what does he give you? He gives you power. To be what? To be the witnesses of that life. He says the same thing in Luke 24 and 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from high. When the Holy Spirit comes, why do I need power? Go into the parallel passage or the old covenant passage in Joshua chapter 1, 6 to 9. Mark those words of what God is telling. That is the shadow. The substance is us. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which are sold to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Second time. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. You may observe to do according to that all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid. How many times does he say? Why do I need strength? Why do I need courage? Why do I need to be bold? Tell me, why is he asking them to be, be strong and courageous? Because there are wall cities? Because there are fighting men? He says, no. You need to be absolutely bold and courageous and strong to keep my word. I don't need to obey his word when everything is going against me. Do you, what do I need? I need strength. I need courage. Because to walk with him in this world is not easy. That's why he said, don't leave until you have received power. Because to walk with me and keep my word and be my witnesses, when everything goes against you, you need the person and his power. Three times he's telling them. And he's not mentioning one thing about the Canaanites. Or the seven nations that are here. The battles they will fight. The giants that are in the land. Or the walled cities. He said, you know what? Do you know what you need courage? 
It needs courage to stand. When everybody is compromising, everybody is bowing down to mammon, everybody is worshipping the gods of Babylon, everybody is partaking of the wine and the food from the king's table to stand alone. You need boldness. You need courage. Can you stand alone? If need, alone. When your family is falling apart, one spouse is going other way, the children are going everywhere, everybody is putting pressure on you, bow down, bend down, bow down, bend down, your God is the problem. Will you stand alone? Will you stand alone? When the world is going haywire everywhere, all around the world it is falling apart, and the whole thing the world is saying is, bend your knee. Will you be bold? Will you be courageous? Will you stand alone? You cannot, unless you know your God. That's what the Bible says through Daniel. Those who know their God, know their God. That is the God that lives in us. He is the one given to us. And He is there, given, personal. Be strong, be strong, be strong, be strong. For what? To fight these battles? No. To obey my word. To obey my word. To listen to what my spirit says. Don't be easy. The walk of faith is not easy. That's why it's called a walk of faith. To stand fast for what God stands for. The convictions of the Holy Spirit. Because everything around the world is changing. It's on flux. It's changing so fast. And the church is changing along with it. But you and I cannot change. God says, if you try it on your own, you will be a miserable failure. There is Moses standing at the age of 80. It's not over with Moses. You know why? Because God is not finished with Moses. Moses is finished with Moses. But God is not finished with Moses. And he's standing there eight years barefoot before a burning bush. And there is a voice speaking to me. Now, God is restoring a relationship or starting a relationship. Because why? Forty years ago, he didn't listen. He didn't ask. We use an acronym called HALT. means stop. HALT. What is God? Halt. When should you halt? H. When you are hungry, halt. Don't make decisions when you are hungry. You will regret it in your lifetime. Esau made a decision when he was hungry for anything. I need this thing. I am going to buy it now. Stop. You are hungry for something. It's not God's time. Any hunger. Stop. It's dangerous. A, when you are angry, don't make a decision. It's very dangerous. Many people have goofed up, destroyed lives, homes and relationships in their anger. Stop. Don't make a decision. Because 40 years earlier, Moses was angry. And he took his sword out. And he lost 40 years of his precious life. And a nation's destiny is hanging on a man. A man is hiding in the desert because he was angry. L, when you are lonely, don't make decisions. When you are alone and feeling lonely, don't make decisions. 
it's a very dangerous decision you will make. I'm so lonely, so I'm going to marry the first man that comes. Are you a Benjaminite? First girl who comes out, I'll catch her, I'll take her home. When you are tired, don't make decisions. I am tired. I want to quit. I want to give up. No. Go to sleep. Wake up, meet God. Be fresh and continue. Many people gave up because they were tired. I am tired of fighting for my marriage. I am tired of fighting for my children. I am tired. I am tired. I am tired. Don't make a decision when you are tired. When you are hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, don't make a decision. Don't make a decision. Remember, you have somebody inside who says, I will feed you. You have somebody inside who says, I will calm you down. You have somebody inside who says, you are not lonely. It is a lie. You can never be alone again. I am with you now and forever. And you are not tired. It's just in your mind. Because the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies, is what the writer of Romans says. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies. Why are you tired, Spirit of God? I need new strength. That's why after killing a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, Samson was so tired, he said, I am tired, I will die of thirst. And God opened his eyes, and the water came up, and he revived his strength again. Samson was finished with himself. God was not finished with Samson. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful about these things. Because otherwise we'll make stupid mistakes, which will cost us in so many ways. We'll die before our time. Or we will die purposeless, useless, empty lives. That is not what Jesus came to give. He said, I have come to give you life. Life in abundance. So here is a man called Moses, all of 80 years old. He's tired. He's lonely. He wants to quit. God is telling you, you, you. He says, no, no, no. Finally, God says, God always goes to the root of the problem. Okay? He's not a general physician. He's a very good radiologist. He'll go to the root cause problem. He asks this question, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? What is that in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then Lord said, reach out your hand, take it by the tail and he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. He says, do you know you are so miserable? Do you know why you are so miserable? Do you know you are discouraged, depressed? Because do you know what you had in your hand? What empowered it? It was empowered by the serpent. Last night we said, 
there is no authority or power that is not of god all authority and power is god the devil does not have power of its own he uses god's power we had somebody wrote this question i think from the middle east uae or somewhere afghanistan or somewhere they wrote this question it said give it with a practical example so we used a practical example if i were to take 3 500 rupee notes and give one here and one here and one here three people she can give the 500 rupees she can ask me pastor what do you want it for what do you want me to spend it for and i say spend it this way she doesn't ask she doesn't ask she will use it she can go out and spend it what did she do she misused it she can take it and tear it what did she do she abused it the devil will take the power of god deceive it and give it to us so that we misuse and abuse the power of god that is not what this life is for everything is from god the whole earth and everything is everything is god outside of god nothing is there if you get up it's because god gave you the strength to get up if you breathe it's because god the question is are we accountable to god you said moses do you know why you are here you are a man called by me you are a man chosen by me picked up in your mother's womb do you know why you are miserable because you did not know who was empowering it it was the serpent that was empowering it you know why because you didn't listen to me you listen to another voice the voice of your anger and you took the sword and you killed somebody in your anger that was not empowered by me and now you are fleeing you are sitting here in the wilderness all alone for 40 years married the wrong woman have two children they cannot be even be circumcised and you're going to the people of the covenant you don't know the mess you are in only because you didn't listen to me and what empowered you the serpent empowered you That's the nature of our work. And verse six and seven. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, "Now put your hand in your bosom." And he put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, "Put your hand in your bosom again." So he put his hand in the bosom again, and he drew it out of the bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Do you know what's happening over here? God is teaching us. These are the two signs. After that, a third sign is given for the people of Israel. Go to Psalm twenty-four, verses three and four. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Yeah, you see that? You got a hand and heart problem. Moses you got an issue you got a problem with your hands because you got a problem with your hand so before i can send you put your hand to your heart when you took it out he says your hand is showing the nature of your heart and all your works are leprous unclean you lost 80 years of your life put your hand back again now your heart is clean therefore your hand is clean And Exodus four seventeen and twenty. And you shall take this rod in your hand, which you shall do the signs. On the by the way, take the rod with you, because now it has changed, because the hand has changed, the heart has changed, the rod has changed. It will no longer be called 
the rod of Moses. It will be called the rod of God. He will give you back your marriage. He will give you back your children. He will give you back your old job. He will give it all back, but it won't be the same again because your heart has been cleansed and your hand has been cleansed. So he is able to restore what you thought you had lost. Nothing has to change. But the nature of it has changed because God has intervened. And you have laid it at his feet. You have been confounded by a holy, righteous God and yet it's been revealed to you the state of your heart and the state of your works and you accept it. No justification. This is my heart. This is my hand. Therefore, these are my works. Ownership has changed. Now the rod is not called the rod of Moses. It is called the rod of God. Marriage has changed. The Isaac who went up the mountain, the Isaac who came down, looks the same, but are not the same. The Isaac who went up was Abraham's only son. The Isaac who came down was the only son that has been given over to God. He cannot be lost. It is not the same. Jacob is Israel because he's met God at Peniel. Doesn't matter the world says, sorry, kal tak you are walking like this. Now you are walking like this. Why are you limping? Because I met my God. I have no longer confidence in myself. All my confidence is in my God. You have encountered your God and the living God is with you. Exodus 33, verse 13. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I might know you. It's a different man who is standing before God. It's a different man. So when you talk to the Spirit of God who is in you, and when you study the Word of God, your first question is, Lord, like Paul had this fantastic two questions. First question, who are you? Jesus of Nazareth. Second question, what do you want me to do? Now Moses knows what God wants him to do. Now the third question is, how do you want me to do it? I will not bring my Egyptian wisdom and skills into this work. It is not enough. I know what to do. Would you please tell me? How to do it? The next question is not what do you want me to do? Spirit of God, would you tell me how to do my work? Because Lord, I sometimes forget I'm in this process not to solve this or bring profit for my company. Though company should have profit, but I'm involved in the work of redemption. So please tell me, how should how should I do it? Because we are sent out by God into the world as his ambassadors to reconcile the world back to him. So it is not enough. You're good in your subject. You're good in your process. You're good in your skills. The whole idea is, can I be somebody who can reconcile people back to God? 
So Lord, it is not enough. I know what to do. Would you please tell me how to do it? Your ways. Because in how I do it, or how you do it, that is also a way I know you. Because there are certain things, ways in which God will not do. See, you can do different ways and get the same result. But God will do it only in a particular way. So I know, Lord, I can get this result in different ways. But it's not the result what matters. I want to do it the way you do it. So would you please show me your way? Each one, your own way. I don't study the Bible like Pastor Vijay studies. So there are general ways in studying. Each one has to go to us because the teacher is inside. Holy Spirit, would you teach me how to study the Bible? Would you teach me because what is his name? He is the helper. Would you teach me how to pray? Would you teach me how to work? Would you teach me? He's a helper. He's a teacher. Would you Would you personalize God? Even as you meditate upon this day and night, would you get involved with a person and not bring your own soul into it? Would you please? Would you please? Would you please? Moses is learning lessons. He said, you go to the people. I'm giving you two signs for my people. One, throw the stick. Show them the nature of the power that empowers the fallen man. Put your hand in your bosom and take it out. Show the nature of your works. A man or a woman whose heart has not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and has not surrendered his whole being before the sovereignty of God. This is the nature of your work. And if they don't believe in this too, I will give them a third sign. Take some water, pour it, it will become blood. Then the only thing that is left is judgment. Because what should have been water should have turned into wine. But it will turn it into blood. He has learned his lesson. So even now, after all these fantastic miracles, he says, Aya, would you please show me your ways? Would you please? If you ask me, I think I know. But I don't know. I don't even want to rely on my understanding. Lean not on your understanding. Trust in the Lord in with all your heart, in all your ways, and He shall direct all your paths, all your ways, all your paths. He shall. All. All. Nothing exempted. He said, I am there with you if you want to direct you in all your paths. All your ways. A personal God. I know. I know who I am. Called to deliver. And I am called to be an ambassador of Christ. But I know also I lost 40 years because I did not ask you. What's God's answer? Verse 14. And he said, my presence shall go with you. You want to know my way? It cannot be explained in one day. 
you will take a lifetime to learn it. How will I do it? I will go with you. I will go with you. And I will tell you, turn this way, turn this way, do this way, do this way, do this way. And because of a relationship between you and me, you will understand my ways. This is not written in a book and given. It comes out of a relationship. My presence shall go with you and I will give you what is he press? How do you know he is with you? How do you know? It doesn't matter what you are facing. What he promises is, if you are listening to me, I give you rest. My peace, I leave with you. Your heart and your mind shall be guarded by my peace. Ultimately, at the end of everything, we are expecting peace. But because we don't listen to God, we end up in pieces. But God says, my peace, my peace. John 14 and verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, teach you, all things. All things. All things. See, the problem is we don't take this all very seriously when we think about, yeah, I read all, that means the big things, other things I can handle. Even the things you know very well, he can still teach you better. All things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I have said. That's the, that's, that's the most beautiful thing when you get older because you forget a lot. Now I am not worried about forgetting. You know why? Because there is somebody who has forgotten nothing in me. He says, you don't have to worry. When you need, I'll bring it to your remembrance. Yes. Don't trust your memory power. Trust mine. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Go to Acts 13 and verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after all my heart, who will do all my will. Now go back to the old covenant reference and come back and then you will see something that is stunning. Go back to the Old Testament. That is First Samuel 13, 14. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't give it to you. First Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. You see, you have to go back. Immediately you have to go back and come back and you will see that will blow your mind away. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. This is the old covenant saying or prophecy of Prophet Samuel to Saul. He's talking about God has picked somebody. Read that carefully. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander. Is that the old covenant promise? Yes. Thousands of years passed away. David is dead and gone. He's over. Finished. Look at the revelation in the new covenant. What the spirit of God says about him. Go back. And when he had removed him, he raised up for him David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of son of Jesse, 
a man after my own heart. And what did the Spirit of God add? Who will do? He did all of God's will. In spite of all the goof-ups he made, he did all the will of God when he finished. That's the difference between the Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment we see in the New Covenant. He did not just the will of God, all the will of God. Do you know why? Why? One thing. Because he was a man after God's heart. He was a man who sought a relationship with God and nothing else. You want to fulfill all the will of God. Look for a relationship with the person of God in you. I promise you, if you are a man or a woman who is after God's own heart, it is impossible for you to finish your life without fulfilling all of God's will. God will see to it you fulfill it, that you don't miss your full reward. Everything is irrelevant. Because the entire salvation process is about a relationship. It's about a relationship. And all human life is primarily about human relationship. And it is possible now because the vertical has been made. We are able to have real, genuine relationship in our homes and our churches because the primary block has been removed. What was the block? Sin. Now that sin has been removed, we have access to heaven. I can hear from God. And He's the God of restoration. He's the God of restoration. Do you know what the verse 36 says of the same chapter? And for David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God. If you know the will of God, you will not end up without serving your generation. Serving. You will not. As we close. Two minutes and we will close. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and read from verse 6. He's so tickled pink about the church. You know? This is the church about whom he said the whole knowledge. Okay, I think, where is it from? Uh, from 3, 4. I give thanks. I give thanks. I give thanks. He begins with pouring out his thanksgiving for this church. Yeah. Verse 9 onwards. Verse 9 onwards. Let's go to verse 9. No, no, sorry, sorry. Not verse 9. Verse 3 onwards. You are right. Verse 3. Both places he, th- he keeps on giving thanks. You know what? When I get letters from my pastors from around the world, I know where they came from. I know where they came from. I know how many years some of them are in prison and God delivered them, brought them out and they are in back pastoring churches. But when I see their letters, heart bubbles with joy because you see how they have grown in their relationship with God. The revelations they speak in a simple letter. You know, these men are walking with God. And this church in Colossians, we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints. You cannot have faith one way and not love the other way. Proof of your faith in God is your love for the saints. 
when your faith, trust in God is right. Your love is there for all the saints. You know what the word of God says? You have this hope. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, or which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. You receive the truth, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it also among you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. You didn't just receive the truth. You received the grace of God along with truth. And it is bringing forth fruit. It is evident in your church. In your vertical relationship and in your horizontal relationship. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. Would we go back and start listening to him? The sins of omission and the sins of commission. Start personally and start at your home. Ministry is very easy. You think ministry is very difficult. Ministry is very difficult if you don't hear from him. Like I said, the work of the Holy Spirit is not to impress. The work of the Holy Spirit is to impact. Not to impress. The work of man is to impress. The work of the Holy Spirit is to change lives. And you need to ask yourself, what do I want to be? Somebody who impresses people? Or somebody who impacts people. Our problem is, we are very well versed in the Bible. We understand God very well. So we won't ask him. Because we know if we ask him, Father, what should I wear? He will say, don't wear that, wear that. And he will say, but it will impress nobody. (laughs) But he says, you may not, but you will impact somebody with my life. Because like Daniel, in your entire company, you may be the only one dressed that way. And after some time, when they see their consistency, somebody will come and ask you, you know what, you are different. Why do you say that? I can make out the way you are dressed. Would you tell me, why do you dress like this? And you will say, I will tell you, there is somebody who lives inside me. His name is Jesus of Nazareth and he likes me dressed this way. It becomes the avenue for you to give the gospel. Everything is now connected with redemption. Would you ask him? Is anybody listening? God is listening. Will we bring him into all our ways? And he will direct all our paths. If we ask him and bring him into all our ways, he will direct us in all our paths. And in that path, there is life. May add, only in that path, there is life. Everything else There is a way that seems right to man. At the end of it is death. But the path his spirit leads you is always the path of life. Shall we stand this morning? Father, this morning we want to come back to you. Come back to you. The person 
the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And in him we have behold the glory of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. It is that grace and truth, that person who went up on the cross for me, for us. And before you left, you told us, it is better for you that I go. Because if I don't go, the helper cannot come. You sent your very spirit to live in us and to be with us all the days of our life. There doesn't have to be any confusion in our lives. Because we have a helper who is willing to help us in all our needs. When we are in pain, in sorrow, we are have a comfort who is willing to comfort us in all our griefs. When you don't know where to go, where to turn, he's willing to guide us in all the truth. He's willing to give us all the power we need in life. You have given us yourself. There is no room for failure now. For the child of God. That's why he comes and tells even the church in love edition. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open, I will come in. And you can overcome. It doesn't matter how far you have gone. You can come back today. It is better to have finished your life having listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit for six months of your life. The last six months of your life than to have lived an entire life not listening to him. When Jesus was praying, his face changed. And Peter said, seeing Elijah and Moses, we shall make three tabernacles. But the voice from heaven said, Listen to my son. And that's what Jesus said. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak about himself. He will speak about me. Listen to his voice. He will tell us what the Father has for us. And eyes haven't seen or ears heard what the, the Father has prepared for those who love him. The Spirit knows. Only the Spirit knows. And he's willing to reveal to us as we walk with him. Don't resist him. Don't grieve him. Don't quench him. Don't test him. Don't lie to him. Come, Spirit of God. Touch us today. Let today be the day restoration begins in many lives. The day of restoration. The day the prodigals came to their senses and started their way, walk back home. Tired of living in the pig pen when the father has a dinner prepared for us. 
Listen to that voice that tells, turn, turn, oh son of man, why do you have to perish? For the God of Israel does not rejoice in anyone perishing. Turn today. Turn back today. Turn back today. Listen to that voice. Turn back. Let go. Because he said, I will give you back all the years. The locusts have eaten. He will give back. Only God can give it back. Only the Spirit of God can do it. Touch your people today, Lord. Let there be a restoration. Let there be renewal. Let there be reconciliation. Let there be new life. Thank you, Father. Come the whole church into thy hands. Gentle Savior, do not pass us by, but lead us in the paths of righteousness for thy name's sake. Lead us, Lord. Green pastures, still waters. It doesn't matter even if it's a valley of shadow of death. All we ask is, be with us. And you have promised you will be with us. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Stand in your presence, Jesus, and we declare, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. All God's people said, Amen. 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 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with everyone. Amen. 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 God bless you.